Welcome to Take Heart. Our goal is to give you hope, offer insight, and encouragement so you can flourish on your journey as a special needs mom. Each week, Sarah, Amy, and Carrie will explore a theme, share an inspiring story, practical tips and encouragement you can use every day. Thank you for joining us today. Today's guest is Jennifer Magnano. Jennifer is a writer, doula, and expert chronic illness warrior and a special needs parent. She is an active advocate for maternal child mental health and well-being. Jennifer remains committed to interrupting cycles of intergenerational trauma and pain. Her work has often moved her into leading roles in local and global mother-centered initiatives and conversations. Jennifer speaks life into the real raw life. That is her superpower. Thanks for being here today, Jennifer, and being a guest on Take Heart. Um, I would like, if you could, to just give us a little bit of intro to your to our listeners about who you are and your special needs journey. I would love to, Amy. I'm so glad to be here. My name is Jennifer Magnano. I'm known as the Barefoot Preacher on social media. And um, gosh, about five or six years ago, in the midst of just all of the chaos that is real raw motherhood, um, my husband came home and um, told me that I was being two different people, basically, that I was posting one way and that I was living another. Um, I'm a special needs parent of a, a daughter who is almost eight now, and she's on the spectrum and has severe OCD and sensory processing disorder, as long as a just an array of um, kind of a mood disorder that we're still trying to figure out. And so there's this invisible world that we live in. And then, um, and I wasn't posting about it. And so the Barefoot Preacher kind of came to life when I realized that I needed to speak life into this wild space. So I write, I doula, and I'm a special needs mom. Great. Thank you. You know, one thing that struck me right away, what you said is that you weren't posting about it. And recently on Take Heart, we talked about guilt and about guilt is about expectations. And we, we kind of talked a little bit about um, how social media plays a part in how we per- portray ourselves. And so I think that's interesting that your husband was the one that said, wait a minute. <laughs> and why do you think you held back? You just didn't want to let people in or you didn't think people would understand? I think I was actually most most concerned about the people closest to us. Um, and I'm not sure what I was trying to protect them from, but I know that it took a long time for our families to really embrace her diagnosis and then um, to embrace the fact that I talk about living with a chronic disease because I, I kind of have a bonus situation and they were off put by it when I started to post. And I had posted maybe a couple of times before he had brought that to light. And it was uncomfortable. They were like, why are you sharing all of this really personal stuff? Mm-hmm. But for me, I think I've always had this advocate's heart and I want others to be 
loved and known and know that they're seen in this wildness. And as soon as he said that, I I thought I wasn't living up to my own values. Mm -hmm. I think there's nothing, like you said, the word seen. When somebody's walked the same road that you have or or, or understands something you're going through, there's nothing that makes you feel more seen than that. I think that we are so lonely in our, our journeys, whether it's a chronic illness journey or an infertility or special needs child. So I really appreciate that you are honest and you're also hope-filled. Your words are very hope-filled. It's not like you're online just complaining because <laughs> that's not what you're doing. You are, you, are, you are truly shedding light on light and life on, on the life you're living. So I appreciate that about you. Um, so this is probably a big question, but you know, here we like to talk at, at Take Heart about hope and joy and connection, which goes in line with what you write about. So what is one way that you think your faith has grown in this journey? And especially in the journey as being a special needs parent, but also having chronic illness, uh, juggling both of those, um, both of those things. How has your faith grown in this season? You know, I think that 2020 was a really hard year for a lot of a lot of really good humans. Um, and it brought out the worst in some really good humans. And I think it brought out my worst in my faith journey, which was really fascinating to me. And I've recovered from that. And I feel like I'm now able to really breathe life back into my relationship with God. Not that he stopped breathing life into right. that relationship, but I did. And I think it was, um, there were a lot of truths that I uncovered there of that we are seen and that God does love us when bad things happen and hard times come. And that it's so important that we find some stillness to reflect on the little things that are going on. And so my faith journey, I feel like has been like, okay, all of these awful things are happening. These big, hard, scary things, the diagnoses, the sickness, the my daughter has been screaming and crying for three days because all of her therapies have shut down. And, um, but then taking that stillness and that pause and saying, okay, where was the goodness today? Where did I see God? And letting that be the place from which not only I parent, but that I live. And so in a lot of those days, it was, okay, you know what? She went to bed early tonight because she was so tired from raging. So I had an extra hour to just sit on my mat and pray. Or um, you know what? My During 2020, my husband realized how hard it can be because a lot of the time in my work as a writer and uh, as a dual, a lot of the time I still get to be home with my daughter and be like her one-on-one. I'm her homeschool teacher. I'm her, her therapist. And so seeing um, his, his glimpses and being like, okay, well now he, so we were able to just find so much good. And for me, my faith relies on finding the good because there was always, always something good, even in the hardest times. Right. And I think you're right that you have to take that moment to stop and notice, um, especially as special needs moms, we're always thinking about the next step or the next therapy or the next thing we have to do. And for me, as you know, I'm further down the path and I've grown kids. I've said this before. When I look back at my journal at the hardest years, I see that I wrote down when life was happening. I'm, it may have been went for a hike with one kid or stopped and got ice cream with another one, but life was happening. And I think it's important to shed light on that because it does seem like, especially in this past year, that you could easily take the um, track that just everything's awful. <laughs> just everything's awful. 
You absolutely could. And I, I feel like that there's been times that we all go there. We're like, everything's awful. Everything's, mm-hmm. it really is in that stillness and that pause. And for me, it's writing also. I write down my gratitude every night and, um, and I, I don't list my grievances because I have to leave those at the foot of the cross and say, okay, you've already seen this. You've taken care of this. You will continue to take care of this. Sometimes I will just take a piece of paper and write down everything I'm worried about and upset about. It could be the littlest, dumbest thing to the biggest life thing. And I'll just write, write, write. And then I'll just put it aside and go back to it. And then just put a big X over it and go, okay, God's covered this. <laughs> I don't really know how half of this is going to turn out, but it's not my job in this moment to know. And I think you're right. It's a little um, small moments that we just have to pay attention to, which is hard to do in the midst of busy life. So slowing down and paying attention to that is important. Now, prior to 2020, were you a homeschool mom? You were already I was, a homeschool mom? Yeah, so this okay. is my third year of homeschooling. Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were one of those moms that like it was foisted upon you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was for my older child. So mm-hmm. I got to bring him into this complete mm-hmm. chaos. Um, because of my chronic disease, I'm, I, I have a compromised immune system. And so we just decided early on that um, online school made him cry every day. And I couldn't do two children crying every day. Um, we couldn't as a family. And so we, we pulled him out. And so he came home and he's homeschooled with us this year too, which has been fun and hard and everything in between. Yeah. <laughs> so with your chronic illness and with having a busy life and a special needs kid, how do you take care of yourself? You know, I'm very protective of my free time. Um, and not that I have a lot of it, but when, once the kids are in bed, there's probably a good 30 minutes that I will just take and I'll read my Bible or I'll just let you flat out my yoga mat and pretend no one else exists. I'm an introvert. So, um, all of this busyness definitely, um, it's really hard on an introvert, let alone someone with chronic disease. And then I'm going to take my mornings really slow and I'm, um, I'm blessed that because my daughter doesn't sleep well and hasn't slept well, she does sleep in if that makes any sense at all. So I get a little bit of time most mornings. Um, But there are a lot of days where there's not room for me to be completely honest. And so it's being so intentional with that time and saying, okay, you know what? I'm not a huge fan of technology, but if she's really hooked on some Tetris game right now, I'm going to have her just sit on the bathroom floor and I'm going to take a bath. And we're still probably going to be in conversation because she talks nonstop. She's highly verbal. Um, But that still feels good because I'm still doing something for myself. Right. And I think that's good too, because it doesn't have to be, it'd be great if it was no kids around a bath by yourself. But I think once again, it's those little things you have to take. You have to pay attention to when those moments come. It may be sometimes for me, I will pull in the in the driveway. And if I'm coming home from somewhere and my kids will get out of the car and I won't go in right away. Now I used to know that I didn't have a long window before something happened, (laughs) but I would just take like 10 minutes and go, okay, (laughs) here's my five two, 10 minutes in the car before I have to go back in again. Um, And just even that's like a little sip of air, you know, that kind of gets you through the next moment. I have to say in 2020, my self-care was completely, I feel like it was radical and different and it was strange. It was all these things and everything had shut down. 
And I knew that the kids, I mean, we live in Arizona and the houses are fairly close together. We only have a quarter acre of land and it wasn't quite pool season yet. And so I was like, what do I do with these kids? Like the national parks have shut down. I have nowhere I can go. And I literally would find just neighborhood parks where nobody was out and I would pull Mm -hmm. over and I would, I would open the doors and be like, run, like both of you just run. And, and that was my self-care is like, I just need these three minutes. And then there was a day that my son decided to roll and poop. Um, and so that was super fun. <laughs> so it wasn't always great self-care. Um, and we, and future visits, I was like, just check the ground before you roll. Uh, <laughs> but that was my, that was my self-care. And so I think that uh, we do, we look for like the big, the big moments, the big chunks of time. And like those three minutes were sacred to me. Nobody was talking, nobody was screaming. Um, it was good. Right. I think too, we say, we say things like, well, it must be nice when we see other moms being able to do things we can't do. But like, once again, that little three minutes makes such a difference. If we didn't take those, I just can't imagine what kind of crabby mess I would be at the end of the day (laughs) if I didn't take those, those moments. Um, So um, what about, we have this in common that we have children with invisible disabilities. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit. There's a lot of um, challenges in that role because people don't always understand. They can't see a disability or a problem. They just see behavior. So for me personally, I've had a lot of guilt about that and I've had to toughen up a little bit and realize that the person looking in on my life doesn't know my life. Um, But I just want to know how you have, how you have handled that with people, however you want to answer that, you know, how you've handled that with people not understanding and how you've advocated for your family or for your daughter when it comes to those kind of situations. I think that when, I mean, I am wholly transparent at this part of my life. There are very few things that I won't talk about. Um, I can probably name one off the top of my head. Like there's, there are not many things that, um, but, and I think so much of that for me is I've just given it to God at this point. And I, uh, I was in direct sales for years and it was a Christian company. And one of um, the speakers that we had one year had said to us, like, you really need to, when you wake up every morning and you're making your to-do list, you need to be living your life for an audience of one in order to thrive. And I go back to that a lot. If I'm living for an audience of one, if I'm living for what God wants me to do here on earth today, it just influences everything. Is it hard living with a child that has an invisible disability? Absolutely. I've tried to explain it to some of even our neighbors and they don't fully grasp it. I'm sure our next door neighbors grasp it because they have heard, they have heard all sorts of things coming from our home (laughs) Um, and bless them. They have not called CPS yet. Um, But I know that that's a possibility (laughs) because if either of them ever move away, I mean, it, it sounds quite, quite dramatic and traumatic on a regular basis, but living with someone with an invisible disability, I think I am much more compassionate because I live with invisible disabilities. Um, I have um, just multiple immune mediated issues. And so when I'm approaching it, I approach it the same way that I would for myself when I'm sharing. Um, 2020 made that actually really easy because it was no, like we can't see you because I'm immunocompromised and She's, she's not in a good space mentally right now. Um, 
and going back out into the world right now, it's, it's kind of the same. It's the same thing. People know who we are. They know our experience. As soon as someone enters into our life, I'm, I'm just transparent about it. That's, does that answer the question? I think that the transparency for me is the only way that we can thrive. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's easy, though, initially, because of judgmental comments, to back into shame a little bit and guilt. But you're right. The, the only way you can thrive is to be honest. It's, it's, I mean, obviously, not every single person that comes across your path, you're going to tell everything to. But I just think, too, it helps your child. Because at first, I think I thought, well, I don't want to tell people because I don't want people to think poorly of my child. But actually, it sheds light on what's going on instead. And I think I think there's this idea that we don't like we don't like diagnosis, we don't like labels, so to speak. Um, but to be in conversation with another, like somebody who who comes upon your family, and you're honest with them and warm and not defensive, I think that just opens them up to look at your child differently. Um, I think so. it does, and we've. Uh, my husband and I were talking this weekend because a friend of mine who actually babysat my son 11 years ago when I went back to work um, sent our daughter a care package. And there was a little note in there explaining that she too had gone through many of the issues that our daughter is going through. And I found that even there's so many adults that are hiding. Um, and my daughter's is primarily mental illness, but there are so many adults that are not having that open conversation, even with close friends. They, I can't tell you as a doula how many women I've, I've been in their home and they'll say, well, I'm going through postpartum depression and anxiety, but I don't want my family to know about it. And I think that we just do ourselves an injustice and we do other people because, gosh, I mean, part of the human experience is learning how to connect with others and to love them and serve them well. Right. And I, there's such a stigma with it, with mental there illness. Is. and. It's something that we're, we we easily become ashamed of, which shouldn't be. I mean, I always say that if you if your child had a disease, um, like when my sister had cancer, and I wouldn't obviously don't want anyone to have cancer, but when my sister had cancer, they gave her, here's where you get your wig. Here's where you go to the nutritionist. This is where you go here to get a support group. And those are wonderful things that should be in place for anybody with an illness. But it's not the same with mental illness. And for us, I don't know about you, but for us, finding the diagnosis was really difficult because there's so many, um, there's so many diagnoses with on that spectrum of behavioral issues. And one doctor would say one thing and another doctor would say another thing. So it took us a while to figure out what was actually going on. And that's frustrating too, and kind of isolating. So I do, I love that. We can only thrive if we're vulnerable and honest. And I think that's so true. I think we do the exact opposite most of the time, unfortunately. But so talk to me a little bit about how are you, um, how you connect with your other child, your other non-special needs child, because he lives in the house with you and he's not at school. So he's kind of in the mix of it all. Um, can you talk to me about what you're doing there in that, with that relationship? I think I've always been very sensitive to him and his needs. Um, I had severe postpartum depression and anxiety um, after I gave birth to him. Had a super complicated pregnancy because of my complicated disease. Went into labor at 24 weeks. 
Um, he was born a late term preemie. He was super sick, went into liver failure when he was 11 weeks old. Oh my. Um, and so I, I shut off all of my emotions. I dissociated, um, which is pretty typical and normal. And honestly, I feel like almost a healthy way of coping with something that is just so big. And so um, when I started to feel again, he was about 20 months old. It was the first time that I knew that I definitely loved my son. Mm-hmm. And I just became really in tune with him at that point of figuring out who he was and what he liked and what he didn't like. And he's a very sensitive child. Um, he would know when he was little, he would know that he was going to do something wrong and then put himself in timeout. <laughs> and, <laughs> which, and he was two when he was going to daycare. And I was like, we don't even do timeout. Um, <laughs> we do time in, but because um, he's just, he's such a sensitive soul. And so living with his sister is really, really hard for him sometimes. And so allowing him the opportunity to say, to express his feelings, right? I'm really angry right now, mom. Like, why does, why do other people get to have a sibling that doesn't scream every day? How come she punched me in the face again? I mean, this is our real life. Right. Um, I mean, I would wake up some mornings when she was smaller and she wasn't quite verbal yet. And she would have punched him in the face and given him a bloody nose before I even opened my eyes um, because she was frustrated with whatever had just happened. And we can laugh about it now, but at the time it wasn't funny. Right. And so um, I was really intent on allowing the people around us to know what was going on. So he's starting in his preschool. Every year I've written a note and said like, please give my son extra love and attention. I'm not asking you um, to, to give him better grades. I'm not like nothing like that. I'm just asking you to love on him because at home he has, he has a hard situation going on. Every teacher with the exception of this year, because I'm his teacher, um, I've written this, this note that says he lives with a high needs, special needs child. He needs you. Um, And I think that that has been such a gift. I mean, um, one of his biggest fears over the years has been going to school and his teachers not allowing them to uh, have hugs. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's a very high contact kid. And we've had, we had great teachers, like every single one would hug him and they would encourage him. Um, it's a safe space. It's his only safe space other than sports. Right. I think once again, that's you being vulnerable with that note, right? You were honest about what was going on in your home and that helped him to thrive. Um, and a lot of attention in special needs families goes on the special needs child. So that kind of gave him his extra special, uh, love that he needed. And I love, I love that idea. You know, my older three are bio, my younger three are adopted. And I, when we started having problems, um, I would sometimes say to my older kids, guys, you have, I shouldn't have. I stopped saying this, but I used to say, you know, you didn't grow up in an orphanage, so have patience or you're, you didn't have a mom who exposed you to alcohol and drugs, so have patience. And yes, they should, but they already were having patience and they didn't ask for the situation. So I stopped saying that and, and decided, okay, I'm letting them say what they want to say. And they have to be able to feel like they can come to us or me and say, I'm really frustrated. And, and I don't, I, I think initially I didn't know how to handle that. So I would just say, yeah, but this is what's going on. But they already knew what was going on. It's not like that was new information to them. I mean, they already knew that these kids came from hard spaces and they were already having grace for them. They needed to be able to be honest with me about what was going on. And once we, I stopped kind of putting that, um, 
that kind of language around it and just let them say, this is how I'm feeling. Things got a lot better for us because they were, they felt seen and heard because a lot of attention does go to the special needs child. Um, it just does. It's the nature of it. It does. I think, I think one of the things that fascinated me, so there's a, there was a sibling workshop that he was going to, um, and he's, he continues to sometimes go to them online. Um, and, but every month they would gather all of these special needs siblings and be able to say whatever they wanted about their sibling. And I was fascinated because, uh, I mean, at nine, 10 years old, you still don't have a filter, but he would still say really nice things about her. Or they, they posed a question one week that was, um, if your if your special needs sibling could never talk again, would you ask them to never talk again? And he was like, no, I want her to be able to say how she's feeling or what she likes or what she wants to do next, even though she yells at me. This is, I I do, I do like this, this part of our relationship. And so I feel like our, the siblings of our special needs kids actually teach us just as much as our special needs children. And I think it also makes them, um, more compassionate. And here's just a little side note. I have three adults. All three of them said after living in our house, like when they go to college and get roommates, they could live with anything. (laughs) They're like really conditioned (laughs) to take anything like college roommate life throws at them because well, (laughs) they've lived through a lot. (laughs) But I do think it makes them more um, compassionate. And in that situation, what you're talking about with your son going to um, that group, I think that's another important thing that we don't think about often that siblings, like all my kids went to therapy. We did some family therapy with our special needs children. Um, they, they had opportunities to express what they needed to express and talk about it outside of us. And, um, and that was a really important piece, I think, for us as a family for that to happen. Um, so, I, I love this question because I always want to know what people are going to say, but if you could go back <laughs> to your younger you, or if you were going to give advice to somebody who's just starting on this journey, what would you say? That may be a big question, but. Hmm. I think my advice would be to allow compassion and compassion for yourself, compassion for your child, compassion for your situation Mm-hmm. I think we're really, really hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my daughter was, I mean, she was diagnosed, she was somewhere between 15 and 18 months when, I mean, I always knew there was something different. This was a child that nursed every hour on the hour from the moment she was born and would only sleep on my chest for the first 12 months of her life. So I knew something was different, but I was so hard on myself. I really thought that I had somehow done this. Right. And looking back, gosh, I just wish I had so much more compassion and grace for myself. Um, And that I found more stillness. I think that that's something I would say if you're just beginning this journey, yes, it's important to get early intervention and therapies and to do the things that are necessary, but find some stillness for both you and your child or children Mm -hmm. because it can get so busy. Right. It can get busy and there's always one more therapy to try and that can make you feel frantic. So that stillness, I think, gives you the, it centers you before you do the next thing. Because sometimes you'll, you get frantic and you just do the next thing because you think that might help when in, when in reality, probably being still would have been the first best step. 
Um, so I love that. I love that advice. So before we um, finish, I want to talk about Moms for Mental Health. Um, it's part of a, I'm actually one of the contributors to Moms for Mental Health, but I would love you to tell our listeners about that space. Absolutely. Gosh, I mean, it's been, it's been on my heart since I had postpartum depression and anxiety with my son and realized there were one, no safe spaces to talk about our mental health. And um, two, especially not in the church. And so um, I went through a 12 step several years ago now, um, just letting go of childhood hurt, hurts, not specifically for any addiction, though. Um, I think that most people with um, any sort of struggle with mental health have some coping tendencies that may or may not be healthy. Um, but in that, uh, it was a Christian recovery space. I recognized wholly that there was just this gap. And so Moms for Mental Health is meant to help fill that gap between faith and motherhood and mental health and allow us just a safe space to see one another here, to speak about the things that um, are just, there might be a stigma attached to it still, um, or it's just uncomfortable to speak about with um, others that are not going through a similar life space. And so we meet once a month and we have a speaker, a teaching or a testimony that goes along with whatever the theme is for that month. And then we have um, contributors, writers, who uh, Amy included, you included, that are um, helping us write a newsletter that goes out to to viewers, listeners every month. Um, It comes out about three or four times every month and it just talks about the hard things. It doesn't tell us necessarily how to go about the healing process, but it allows us to get glimpses into other other women's lives about how they're managing the space that they're in, whether it's maternal mental health or child mental health. It's a really beautiful space. Um, I would encourage our listeners, if they're interested at all, to, to be a part of that space. So where can listeners find you, and especially Moms for Mental Health, but where can they also find you on Instagram or why don't you tell us where we can find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. I'm the barefoot preacher, pretty easy to find. Um, and then moms for mental health is our, our, um, handle for Instagram and we post three times a week. So you'll see a little bit there, but you can also subscribe to our newsletter on Substack and that the link is in both, um, in both of our bios and both moms for mental health and my personal bio is the barefoot preacher. All right. And we'll, we'll share that in our show notes. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us today. It was just a joy to talk to you. And um, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. week on Take Heart. If you love our podcast, could you please do us a favor and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Take Heart Special Moms. If you have any questions or comments or would like to share your story with us, please follow the links in the show notes. We love hearing from our listeners and we love hearing your stories. Listen in next week as we continue our Take Heart summer interview series. You won't want to miss it.